Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series, presented by TELUS. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. This show is brought to you by Métis Nation BC, TELUS, and Jelly Marketing. So June, um, did you make it to the BC Lions game last night? I absolutely did. It's the first game I've ever been to. And what did you think? (laughs) It was great. I mean, I... uh... I, I mean, I don't understand the game, so it was just, I was like totally just into the orange t-shirts and the energy yeah. and just, you know, like, wow, like this this movement is really, really moving, you know? And so I was kind of more into that. I can't yeah. tell you about the game. I can't tell yeah. you, like, no, okay. but I, I love the energy. And it's the second annual National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Yes. And how did you think we did? How was it this year for you? And what was the, what was your experience? I think it was, I think it was good. Um, <laughs> I was kind of torn about coming here and being at home in yeah. our community, doing our things. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, we still got a long way to go. Yes. That's kind of where I kind of land with that one, is it? Yeah, we still have a long way to go. Making baby steps. Mm-hmm. Baby steps. Right. And and being here at the conference and, and you know, MNBC hosting people from all over BC coming together, what has it been like so far for you? Well, you know, um, it's a good question. I think we haven't yet embraced what needs to happen here. Mm-hmm. I think we have not... Um, created that entirely Métis-specific arena. That that stage has not been built yet. And that as long as we fill our time with um, other Indigenous groups, we're not focusing on us. So... And that's that's the piece that's always been missing is that Métis are the invisible people, right? And um, we need to be seen mm-hmm. and we need to have a, a venue that is us. Mm-hmm. And that's that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's not there yet, right? It's been a lot of other stuff. Yeah. President Lisa shared this morning in the, the opening remarks that uh, Métis people were indigenous, indigenous enough to go to the residential schools, but not indigenous enough to be recognized and get any of the support. Actually, Absolutely. Yeah, tell me about your thoughts on that. And that's, uh, I mean, uh, that's criminal. 
It's absolutely criminal because uh, the Métis people of Canada have their own story about residential school, and it's true, and it's valid, and uh, they have never been afforded that recognition that um, our First Nation brothers and sisters have received. Um, and they haven't been compensated for it either, which is ludicrous, right? Uh, and, and, and I believe that Métis people have their own unique experience. We have similarities and uh, things that are common with other Indigenous groups that have uh, attended residential school, but we have our own distinct story that is owned by us. And that's a story that hasn't been told yet, right? And that's part, part of that story is not being recognized, right? And not being um, that, that um, group that gets to go forward with reconciliation and compensation and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. You had a, it was just imagination's time right now. If you had a magic wand and you could wave it and see something happen, or call it a blue sky thought, what would you love to see happen? Maybe, you know, maybe it's a gathering, maybe it's kind of next year at, at September 30th. Again, anything's possible with this magic wand. So. Yeah, well, I think this is possible anyway. What okay, I want to nice. see is possible anyway. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's dollars out there. There's dollars that other Indigenous groups have received. Uh, the Métis Nation deserves the same kind of dollars for us to undertake our own healing as well. So I think money should not be an issue. I think it should be a given for us. We are recognized as one of the three Indigenous groups in Canada. So it's like, it's not even a question of arguing all that anymore, mm. right? It's, uh, uh, it's our money and um, we need that. And we need Métis-specific events. Mm. And so that means Métis facilitators. Yeah. That means uh, Métis survivors telling their stories and perhaps other people in the room going like that. We need, we need a place where we get those moments. Yeah, I know what you mean. We don't get those. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We don't get those. And we haven't got them yet, right? And like I said this morning, I mean, I, I traveled with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I have gone across Canada, and I have worked with that in 30 years on the front line as mm -hmm. a registered clinician. Mm -hmm. And our story, I've hardly heard any of it. It's all been First Nation. And we have a story, but there's never been the opportunity to bring it out. And mm. so that's, I don't think that's asking too much. I don't even think this is a magic wand moment. Mm. It's an absolute necessary, 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 and it's our inherent right as Indigenous people, right? And we have the right to be cared for and supported as we heal from residential school. And speaking of telling our story, tell me about your story, your experience. Well, my story, uh, uh, both sides of my, 
my parents um, have a residential school um, survivors in it, long gone now. Uh, so for me directly, uh, the impacts were uh, family violence, alcoholism, um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse. Um, yeah, and so uh, my grandmother on my father's side um, was illiterate and she couldn't uh, speak, she mm. couldn't read, uh, she was an alcoholic and she was in abusive relationships mm. where she was uh, battered all the time. And she was the most loving, kind lady I ever knew. And, uh, but she never knew her worth. Mm. And so she raised her children in that environment. Mm. And then her son married my mother. And my mother came from a similar background. And so, uh, of course, that was the attraction. Yeah. And then they have six children. You're one of six. Yes. Okay. And then it's not going to be a happy home. Right. And my father was very violent. He, uh, he uh, beat my mother all the time. Um, he did a lot of things. And my mother was uh, like uh, a hero. She's my hero. Um, she escape that situation and um she was just amazing i mean she rebuilt a car in the back of the property without him knowing to leave with us kids you know she was just amazing and um yeah so that's kind of like what happened and uh that that's how it impacted me so i kind of grew up not in the healthiest of homes by any means. Mm. I know my mother like compensated a lot and made life good towards mm. the end of our childhood, yeah. but initially it was it was pretty violent, yeah. and pretty bad. And so, for me, I mean that impacted me on my relationships. When I was starting to get into mm. relationships, mm. I used to uh, be quite abusive and uh, uh, didn't have any self esteem. Mm. And so I wasn't a very nice person mm. and I hurt a lot of people in relationships and stuff. And that was like when I was really, really young. So now I've done a lot of work on myself, mm -hmm. right? And I have a lot of compassion and empathy now. And I have a, a sense of who these two people were that were my parents and, and why they were the way they were and that they could have been nothing else. Yeah. And I, I break that cycle and I say no. And I, and I do not, do not um, accept violence of any kind. And, and like last night when we were at the game and uh, there was mention of it this morning about uh, people getting off the bus to ask that young woman if she was okay. We were sitting on the bus and there was a young man and a woman out there in the parking lot and he was like grabbing her by the neck and up against the car. 
And we were watching it and, and we're going like, hey, what's going on over there? The bus driver's going, just don't get involved. Don't get involved, you know? And like, I'm just like looking at it going, whoa, not okay, right? And then he's like shoving her back on her chest like that. And anyway, a bunch of us got out of the bus, myself included, and we went over there. And the man that went with us, he said, um, excuse me, are you okay? Do you need help? Such a lady, and she and she, and she started giggling and saying, "Oh, we're just kidding, we're just joking." And um, mm. and the man said, "Yeah, yeah, no, nothing like that." And then Tanya said to them, "You know, you can't um, do these kind of things in public without you know getting some kind of attention. You need to show respectful." Mm-hmm loving relationships right and there and he's going no no thank you so much for pointing it out like so i i mean i went back to the bus and i was confused still because well you know like where i grew up that never ever was a joke right it meant that things were going down fast and they were going to be bad and there was going to be blood and all of that stuff right and so i i watching them yes last night on the bus it's like it annoyed me. It annoyed me if that was a joke to them. Yeah. And like someone points out to me, well, it was probably foreplay, you know, that that was their way of just doing something, right? That Maybe that's their gig. They do that and then whatever. But it's like it really bothered me mm-hmm. that it, they would involve public if it's just something they do, Yeah. right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I know that, that those kind of things, I see domestic dispute going mm-hmm. on. It really bothers me, yeah. really bothers me. Like I, I, I feel myself panic up a bit, right? And it's like someone's going to get hurt. And, but also there's this rage in me where I just want to go over there and just stop it, mm-hmm. right? So those are the... The leftovers from yeah. from childhood, right? Um, Things that you inherited, yeah, passed down generation to generation. Usually, yeah. it's a watch, yeah, something else. But in yeah. this case, it was the fruit of the residential schools. Absolutely, and it's like so interesting watching my siblings because yeah. we're all raised in this house, mm-hmm. and I, my brother, passed away. Um, two years ago from alcoholism and it's like he never made peace with that mm-hmm. so i know i know that's what ate him alive mm-hmm. and then um another sister a uh, couple sisters are alcoholics mm-hmm. and i see it i see that ugliness that it's seeping down into our generation mm-hmm. you know it's just um uh, it's so sad to see that it's not stopping. It's not stopping. It's it's still going down. It's still hurting people. And, um, and like being a clinician, I'm really analytical. Mm-hmm. I'm always like sizing things up and I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And I read my siblings sometimes and it hurts me. Mm-hmm. It hurts my soul. Yeah. 
because I get it. But I also respect them enough not to delve into it because it's their stuff. I don't have the right to do that. But I, I see it and I just know that they're, I just know they're running, running from, you know, the darkness, the evil, the everything that was around us. They're just running from it and shoving it down. And every once in a while it rears its ugly head. Yeah. Like uh, my one sister, when she drinks, her eyes turn black. Mm. And she's the life of the party. She's Mm. the belle of the ball and everyone's laughing because she is so hilarious. Mm -hmm. And something happens. And And her eyes go black. And it's not good. And that's, that's what she got given. Stuff is real, right? And it's like, you know, my father once told me that his anger came from growing up, um, watching his mother, like, go to the store, and she wasn't allowed inside the store. She had to wait at the door because she was an Indian. And so she had to give her order at the door, and and he was so ashamed. And he grew up so ashamed, so angry, and watching his parents be so violent. And he grew up that way. He grew up that way. He never, he never dealt with that. Yeah. And how do you feel like days like this uh, can be part of the healing journey? Absolutely. I mean, th- these kind of venues can offer me a healing that I can't get elsewhere with my people, yeah. with my people, right? Your family. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's something that I think all of our nation needs mm-hmm. that has any kind of relation mm-hmm. to residential school yeah. is that we need to do this. We need to get our stories out. Mm-hmm. We need to go beyond the fear. Yeah. You know, because for some, just coming here is terrifying. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, Yeah, it's just terrifying. It's like, oh, God, that door has been closed my whole life. Like, don't open it, right? It's like, (laughs) it's it's real. Mm -hmm. It's real, you know? And uh, we need to get to a place where it's like, we know it's scary, but let's do it together. Mm. Right? Because we're never alone. We are never alone. You know, we need to trust that no one's going to be left behind. And as members of a nation together, we can do this. We can do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I very much want to be a part of it on many levels. But, yeah. So maybe tell me along the journey, maybe other times when you felt maybe hope or um, healing steps. Or maybe if, if there are none come to mind, but maybe in the future, kind of hopes and steps you hope to see happen. Oh, no, no. I mean, I have lots of hope now. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I am a cuckoo. So, uh, <laughs> little Annie is five. Yeah. And oh. uh, Dee Dee's two and oh. Flossie is two months. Yeah. But Annie is like the love of my life. Yeah. 
And uh, she's just like, uh, she just, her nickname for me, her term of endearment mm-hmm. is kook. Hey, kook. Yeah. <laughs> Who you call the kook? That's yeah, no. great. So anyway, yeah. So um, we go on dates together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I start teaching her things that mm-hmm. were taught to me and stuff. And when we were camping, for example, I, uh, went out and was showing her the plants in the forest and this and that. And then we came uh, um, across some sour grass and she's, uh, I gave it to her to eat and of course she loved it. So then later in the afternoon she said, um, um, can you take us back to sour grass? I said, ah, no, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm reading. Mm-hmm. I was on my chair on the river and mm-hmm. I was reading and I didn't want to move. So she said, well, um, Kukum, can you just draw me a picture of it then? And um, I'll take mom. So I drew a picture of sweet grass and stuff, and she put it back in her little AT fire bag. <laughs> and her and her mom went down the river, mm. and she and her mom came back later and said, it was so cute. She said she, she we, were, we were going down the river, and she said, there it is. I think that's the sweet grass. Just a minute. And she took oh. it out of her bag. And she flicked through the pages till she found my drawing. And then, yeah, that's it, Mom. That's cool. <laughs> and I mean, that's like, that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's what it's all about. It's, it's about getting back to love, right? It's about getting back to being happy and, and, and what matters in life. Like that young girl doing the circle this morning, mm-hmm. like, you know, stuff like that is so precious. It's, yeah. it's beyond words, yeah. you know, and I get that with my kids, you know, grandkids and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of hope in my life. I have a lot of joy in my mm. life, and I certainly have a lot of love in my life. I like to lead with love so um, because it's just way nicer to do. We got it in us to yeah. give, right? Amazing. So listening right now and watching our fellow Métis citizens from the nation, um, there's also people that are not Métis listening in to learn about Métis culture and history. Uh, if you had a message for either of those groups, or maybe it's the same for both, what would you want people to know who maybe know residential school survivors or sons and daughters of residential school survivors? What's your message to them? That it's never too late to heal. And, you know, I try to tell people all the time that it takes more energy to keep that suppressed mm-hmm. than it does to walk through the fear. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's worth walking through the fear and just seeing the light, right? It's about that journey to reclaim yourself. And there's nothing more important in your lifetime than to go find your authenticity again and live from there. To connect with your infinite wisdom that dwells deep within you, that's connected to all of our ancestors in the universe. We've lost that, you know, because life is too busy, it's too cluttered, too much drama, and way too many distractions. And we're losing the gift of communication because people are on their phones all the time and texting and all that kind of stuff. And so they don't know the, the, the art of communicating, sitting here talking and not having to look at your phone like every few minutes and stuff, but just to be able to 
be and to meet each other, right? To look into each other's eyes and meet each other and go, hey, how are you doing in there, right? And so I'd say to everyone out there that is still in limbo about healing from the residential schools, come to us, contact us, do something. It's worth it. It's, it's worth it. Is there anything else you want to share with listeners and viewers? I don't think so. Just uh, be happy and love. Mm. Love as much as you can. Thank you for sharing today. Your story, your advice. It was excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very courageous to do so. Thank you. This has been the Métis Speaker Series podcast presented by TELUS, and I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to Métis Nation BC and TELUS for making this possible, with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis News at MétisPodcastSeries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lovelifeofficial, L-U-V-L-Y-F official, and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you, Marcy, for listening. Mm-hmm.